Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. I want to go back to Matthew 28 for a moment. Matthew 28, we're talking about living the life of a disciple. Living the life of a disciple of Jesus. The whole purpose of why Jesus came was not, quote unquote, to just get you to heaven. If that was true, then in this statement in Matthew 28, that's what he would have said. Heaven's a given for the believer. Amen. Heaven's a given for the believer. Heaven's not something we got to wonder about or be concerned about or will I get there or will I go. If you're a believer born again walking with Jesus, guess what? It's a given. You're going. I said, you're going. You don't sound too excited about it, but you're going. So the understanding of what he tells us here clearly of some of the last words he spoke to his disciples is what you and I need to get a hold of to live out this life the way God intended. Matthew 28, Jesus raised from the dead, appears to his disciples here. And in verse 18, he came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 19, go therefore and do what? Make what? Make disciples of all nations, all people, all ethnic groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One translation that I've read gives a more accurate rendering of that here. The baptizing means to be immersed in. It doesn't mean we don't baptize you in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We do. But this phrase is actually referring to being, immer- you ready? being immersed in the reality of. In the Greek language, being immersed in the reality of. What does God want for every person on the planet? To be immersed in the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If I'm immersed in the reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, guess what that means? I'm aware of Him. I'm aware of the Father. I'm aware of Jesus. I'm aware of the Holy Spirit. When I go to church, I get excited. When I open my Bible, I hear from heaven. The things of God excite me. They don't bore me. If you're bored, you're not walking in the reality of what you have as a believer. Verse 20, notice this, he goes on to say, teaching them to do what? Observe all things. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll be with you to help complete this work. Now, I want to read the verse 20 in the voice translation. The voice translation says, and I, I don't go from, I, I do not read to you from what are called paraphrases. Paraphrases is just a man's idea of what they think the verse said. A translation is actually going to the original language and doing what they can to interpret the best they can for us to understand it in our language. So the voice is a translation. It's not a paraphrase. This is uh, Matthew 28, 20 in the voice translation. It says, then disciple them. So after you've immersed them in the reality of God, disciple them. Watch this. Form them, form them in the practices and postures that I've taught you. That's being a disciple. Form them in the practices and in the postures that I have taught you and show them how to follow the commands that I have laid down for you. And I will be with you day after day to the end of the age. You and I, to become a disciple, are actually going to have to be what? Formed into the practices and postures of which Jesus taught us. Amen? Luke 14. Luke 14. So it's clear in Jesus' own words, the goal, once we receive Christ as our Savior, the goal is to do what? Become a disciple. Become a disciple. We've already given you very clearly from the Scriptures the four growth stages of a believer. We've covered quite a bit already. This is part 11 already in our series. It's one of my favorite things to teach on because it's what we should all aspire to be. Not every believer becomes a disciple. Sadly, many will not. The truth is, if you look at the heart of Jesus' own ministry, what was proven by his own ministry in life, and as it relates to ongoing uh, revelation to the book of Acts and Scripture, the honest truth is, probably somewhere in the neighborhood, about 20 to 30% of the people that are born again actually become a disciple. That's really sad. Because being a disciple means I'm living the kind of life Jesus lived. The discipleship life is living a much higher form of life. 
It's a life that you live above the way that the world lives, meaning that you don't get affected like the world does. Doesn't mean stuff doesn't come at you, but guess what it doesn't do? Doesn't overtake you. Jesus clearly said storms come to all, but the people who hear what he said and do it, guess what? When the storm is gone, they're going to still be standing there. But the ones that come and hear him, they come hear him, and he's, the, the implication is they're born again, but they don't do what he says. They don't develop as a disciple. When the storms come, guess what's going to happen? Down they go again. I'm not going to mention anybody in relationship to the years past of people I've known over the years, but there are Christians, man, that they just keep going down again. And thankfully, some of them at least try to get back up, and they go down again. Storm comes again, and they go down again. Why? They just don't do what's necessary to become a disciple. If you become a disciple, storms don't take you out. You actually stand in the midst of the storm and tell the storm, ha, 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 you can't do anything to me. You can't take me out, praise God. I'll still be standing when you're gone. Amen? Amen. So you got to understand, this is the power of being a, being a disciple. Now, in Luke 14, we're going over characteristics of what Jesus said a disciple is. So in these characteristics of what a disciple is, it helps us understand either how to become one or continue to maintain a walk as one. The first one we already revealed to you in John 8, 31 and 32. John 8, 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. 32, you'll know the truth, and the truth to do what? Sets you free. So, number one characteristic of a disciple, they abide in the Word. They live in the Word because they know Jesus is that Word. To be a disciple of Jesus, guess what you got to do? Get close to Him. So, disciples are clearly people who abide in the Word. Second characteristic is found here in verse 26. We've already covered it. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me, so that's receiving salvation, but they do not hate their father, mother, wife, children, and brothers and sisters, and even their own life also, cannot be my disciple. He said it. Don't throw some at me. He said, I wouldn't throw something at him either. He said it. He said, what did he say? So hate here, of course, you know, in relationship to what we know, Jesus and God teaches us, we're not to hate people. So what is he saying? So you got to go into further study of the word. How many of you need to study to show yourself approved sometimes? So the, t- the terminology in the Greek says you got to love less. Matthew worded it that way. Matthew said, you cannot love your father, mother, brothers, sisters, even your own life more than your, own, more than your Jesus, or you won't be his disciple. So, number two, what's the second characteristic of a disciple? Jesus is his first love. Jesus is his first love. I don't go to church based on whether my family goes or not. You listening? Now, wait a minute. You parents don't be leaving your kids at home saying, well, if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. That's not proper parenting. Well, I'm not going to make them accept Jesus. You couldn't do it if you tried. I said, you couldn't do it if you tried. If you try to make your child get born again, they're not really born again. They got to have a heart of repentance. But you're supposed to train them in the way they're supposed to go. If you train them in the way they'll go, guess what? As they get older, they won't depart from it. And we got some great training parents in this church in Jesus' name. But I'm not going to, if Kathy doesn't show up to church today, I'm not going to stay home. Well, sorry, guys. Kathy's not coming to church today, so I'm going to stay home with Kathy. You guys just do whatever you want. You know, maybe Matt will share a little something or whatever. Or just, you know, do a little song and dance routine or something for you. Because he's good at that. Likes doing, you know, no, I'm joking. So, my point is to say this. You don't allow anybody to actually, in a position of your life, become more important to you than your walk with Jesus. Jesus comes first. If you want to be a disciple. Amen? Why? The Bible said, if you obviously think you can love two people at the same masters in the sense of this kind of devotion and love. If you think you can do that with God in the world, not possible. Not possible. Now, it means you don't love people. I said it means you don't love, does it mean you don't love people? No, it doesn't mean, I'm sorry, I worded that wrong. Does it mean you don't love people? You'll love them even better. better. If you love Jesus first, amen? Verse 27 is the third characteristic of a disciple. And whoever does not do what? Bear his cross and come after me cannot be what? Not possible. Can't be my disciple. Third characteristic of a disciple. Can somebody tell me? We, finished, we kind of finished up on this on Wednesday night. I'm going to touch on a couple of things real quick. What's the third characteristic? A disciple lives to fulfill the will of the Father. To, to bear your cross, to take up your cross, is to fulfill the will of the Father. How do you know that? We read this through the life of Jesus. I've given you multiple verses. So in context of taking up your cross, what it means is you're carrying out what is the will of God, God the Father, for your life. Because what was the will of God for Jesus' life? Go to that cross. 
That's why he came. He came to die. So going and bearing your cross isn't dying to self. You did that before you ever took up the will of God. I've already proven that to you through Matthew 16. Amen? You have to deny the old self. Then take up the will of God. Amen? So there's three things I taught you Wednesday night. I didn't get to the verses on the third one, but I'm just going to refer to them real quick. What are three things that will help us to live out the will of God? One, you got to renew your mind to the new you. Colossians 3, Ephesians chapter 4, very clear about this. You have to renew the mind to, the new, to your mind to the new you to see the new you. You got to get a vision of the new you to, to take out, uh, excuse me, to take up and carry out God's will for your life. You got to know who you now are. Amen. And that's a whole transformation process in itself. Amen. So not only do you got to renew your mind to the new you, as you renew the mind to the new you, what's the second thing you got to do? Start practicing that new you. What's the greatest verses for the believer to practice in their life as, as a new you? What's the greatest verses? I gave them to you Wednesday night. Does anybody remember? Direct verses I gave you that gave a definition. The in him verses are correct. You're correct on that. But I'm saying if you went to one set of verses, Wednesday night I told you. If you went to one set of verses that defines the new you, that you could meditate on, learn on, and practice in your life. What you're practicing is you're working out. Understand when Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He wasn't saying work for. He, it's already in you. You're working it out. You're learning to transform this life from within, from the man that's on the inside. Amen? You're learn, uh, transform, excuse me, transform this life on the outside from the man within. So I gave you a set of verses, two verses that are the most crucial verses that if you ever want to look at a picture of the new you, all you got to do is go to those two verses. What were they? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. If you go look at Galatians 5, he talks about the old you before that. He talks about all the fleshly nature, remember? All the things of the fleshly nature. But then he gets to verse 22 and he talks about the new you. And the new you is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. All these things are the new you. What you need to do, start practicing them. Start practicing walking in love. Start practicing joy. Well, how do you practice joy, Pastor, when you don't feel like walking in joy? Start rejoicing in God. The Bible says rejoice just when you feel like it and everything's going good. Well, see, why don't Christians do this? It's awful quiet. It's not natural. Why don't Christians do it? Why don't they practice these things? Because if you don't practice them, guess what you won't do? You won't get good at them. You won't walk in the new you. You don't walk in the new you without practice. Because you didn't walk in the new you before being born again. So guess what you need? Practice. So the book of Hebrews tells you this. That you and I, through reason of use, practice. Hebrews 3 tells you this. I told you these verses Wednesday night. Tells you that through reason of use, practicing the new you, guess what happens? You start walking in discernment of what's good and what's evil. Because when you start practicing the new you, that's good. And now you start recognizing what's evil that you shouldn't do. Amen? So you got to practice what? You got to practice the fruit of the Spirit. How do I practice peace? Can somebody help me? How do I practice peace? He whose mind is stayed upon God has perfect peace. When you start losing your peace, guess what that tells you? Redirect your mind. Amen. Right then, practice. Redirect your mind. No, 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 no. I'm not losing my peace. Redirect your mind towards God and start thinking about God. Amen. And you'll see the very peace within you start coming out. How about long-suffering? I forgave you 50 times. I'm going to give you 50 more. Practice it. Practice it. Preaching better than you, amen. You're making me, you're almost forcing me to go back to those verses today. And I don't, I don't want to, but I will if I have to. So you got to practice being the new man. You got to practice those fruits. If you ever, does anybody here ever want to live the life of a disciple? You must practice those fruits. And the way you practice them is when you least likely want to do them. The best way to practice them is when you know you're going to get in scenarios where it's going to be hard to love somebody, walk into that scenario before you ever walk in there saying, I'm going to walk in love no matter what it takes. I don't care how they treat me today. I don't care what they say about me today. I know what they said yesterday. Don't care if I've already forgiven them. Not bringing it up today. I go back to work. They make fun of me, mock me, do whatever. I'm just going to walk in love. Say, God bless you, brother. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Thank you, Jesus. You know what they'll do? Well, if they don't want anything to do with God, they'll just walk away and call you a nut. Well, so did they say of Jesus. So did they say of his disciples. 
You know, it's amazing. Our guys talked about this in our meeting Friday night. You know, you think, no, all these guys love Jesus. They all followed. You know why the majority followed Jesus? It wasn't because they loved him. He tells you in the Gospels. It wasn't because they loved him. Why did most of them follow him? He said, you follow me because of the miracles, the signs, because I feed you, I heal you. You don't follow me because you really love me. You do it because of what I've done for you. Well, that's still humans today. Most humans today aren't real devoted to God because they don't think God's done much for them. They haven't learned about the cross very well. He's done a lot for you. Shout amen, somebody. That's a shout. So you got to do what? Practice these things. You got to practice them. And then number three, I'm just giving you three things to walk in the new man. Three things to take up the new will of God for your life. What's the third thing? I actually just mentioned it. I didn't turn to the verses. Ephesians 1, 18 through 22 there uh, was the verses I referred to. What's the third thing you got to do? Pray and ask God to help you see the new man. Ask him to show you that new man. Father, show me this new man. Help me to have better understanding and revelation and insight of this new man. Ephesians 1.18 says, Father, open the eyes of my understanding that I might be enlightened. Why? Enlightened to what? That I would know the hope of your calling. This is about the new you. What's the hope of your calling? The new you calling. To walk in the very life that God has for you. Hope means an expectation of what God has for me to walk in. Open the eyes of my understanding that I would know the hope, the expectation of this new life you have for me to walk in. That I would know the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. In other words, help me understand my inheritance. Help me to see the inheritance I already have of this new life. And that I would know the exceeding greatness of your power that works in the lives of those who believe. Show me that, Lord. So you got to pray and ask God to help you to see this new man. Can I get a better amen? So realize that's significant to walking in, taking up your cross, walking in the light of bearing your cross or walking out what is the Father's will for your life. Could I get an amen on that? So now we're going to move on to the next one. Verse 28. We're going to go into the fourth characteristic. The fourth characteristic of a disciple. You okay? Watch this. For which of you, intending to build a tower... Does not sit down first and, underline it, count the cost. We'll come back to that in a minute. If you're going to build a tower or build pretty much anything, don't you sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who would see him begin to do it and mock him, saying this man began to build, but he wasn't able to finish. God doesn't want you to just start out your walk with him. He wants you to be able to finish it. Right? A disciple will. A disciple will. Verse 31, or, so he adds another scenario, what king going to make war against another king? You're in a battle zone, folks. You're in a war zone, like it or not. That's why he gave you armor. You don't need armor if you're not in a war zone. Notice this, what king going to make war against another king does not do what? Sit down first and do what? Underline it. Consider. Underline the word consider. The two key phrases of what we're going to get to here in just a minute is count the cost and consider. Does he not consider whether he is what? That he is very clearly able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Now, he's not saying make sure everything's in your favor as a believer before you go for, forward on an adventure. Because guess what? If you sit down and literally consider things in your life that would hinder you, as you're going to see in a minute with your walk with God, to not be able to walk in what he has for you, then you better realize I better watch facing any battles because I'm not ready for them. But if I consider who I am as a child of God, if I consider things in my life that could hurt me from walking in what God has for my life and keep those things out, I can face any battle knowing you ain't got a chance, man. This enemy's going down. Verse 33 is the the, uh, next attribute and the fourth one, fourth characteristic or attribute of a disciple. So likewise, so that goes back to everything he just said. So likewise, notice, whoever of you, underline it, does not forsake all. Does not forsake all. All that he has cannot be what? My disciple. What's the fourth characteristic of your disciple? A disciple is willing to forsake anything to walk with Jesus. A disciple is willing to forsake anything to walk with Jesus. 
It doesn't mean you have to forsake everything, give up. It doesn't mean you got to sell your house, sell your car, sell all your clothes, give up everything you got. No, he's saying you got to be willing. You got to be willing to forsake all. Anything, all just means anything that he tells you to forsake to be what? His disciple. If you're not willing to forsake things in this life, I can already tell you, you won't be a disciple of Jesus. There's things in this life that people want so bad, they won't let go of them. And they don't realize they're hindering them in being a disciple of Jesus. There are people on Sunday mornings that want to hold on to their bed so bad that they're not willing to forsake some sleep in their bedtime to get up and go to God's house and learn how to be a disciple. I appreciate all your amens on that. You got out of bed. You should have shouted amen. Are you still here? There's people that won't give up jobs that God never called them to. I know people that take jobs that they can't serve God. They can't walk with God. They don't have time. Their job consumes their life. They're under the rule of Pharaoh. We want to go worship our God. Nope, you're my slaves. You do what I tell you to do. That's what Pharaoh told the children of Israel. Didn't he? Yeah, they wanted to go worship their God. Did Pharaoh let them go? Nope. Why? You're my slave. You work for me. You do what I tell you. There's some Christians today that work jobs that they can't serve their God. You know why? Because their boss says, nope, you're working. I'm telling you, you're working. You're doing what I tell you. You don't do what I, you don't do what you want to do serving your God. You do what I tell you. If you don't want to do what I tell you, then you lose your job. Oh, I'm afraid to lose my job. Okay, Pharaoh, I'll bow down. I'll worship you. I'll worship you. Awful quiet. You don't think God couldn't bless you with a job that you could serve him and walk with him as well? I mean, we're serving a pretty small God who doesn't have the ability to do that in our life. But he does. I said he does. So realize this. A disciple realizes and knows that they have to do what? Be willing to forsake anything that God tells them is hindering them in being a disciple. So what's the choice? Let go of what he tells me I should not obviously have in my life that's hindering my relationship with him that therefore is keeping me from walking as a disciple on the planet and therefore is doing what? Hindering my ability to walk in victory as a child of God like Jesus did. Because until you become a disciple, you're not going to walk in victory. Disciples don't get defeated. Why? Because you live like Jesus. Did Jesus, was Jesus defeated? No. How can you be? Are you just thinking real hard? Realize that disciples don't get defeated. Not when they walk in the light of the truth. Not when they know who they are. Not when they walk in faith. Not when they trust their God. I can't find a single disciple in this book of Acts that failed. After Jesus left them, resurrected from the dead, left them, empowered them, and walked away, every single one of these disciples that I see walked in victory as long as they remained the disciple and did what God told them to do. They didn't walk in defeat. Look at Paul's life. Look at all the challenges Paul overcame. How hard did the devil try to kill Paul? Very hard. Did he accomplish it? He could not until God said it was time for him to come home. Till he fulfilled his will and went to Rome, guess what the devil could not do? Take his life. Say praise the Lord, somebody. So again, he says, you got to be willing to forsake all. I didn't didn't say it, Jesus said it. Now, I'll take the hit if you want to throw something at me, go ahead. But notice this, likewise, whoever of you, whoever of you does not forsake all he has cannot be my disciple. Can't do it. So how do I forsake all? I'm going to give you two keys. He gave them to you. What's the first key to me making sure that I'm willing to forsake all? First and, for, first, and for, most important, first and foremost important key is to do what? Back up there in the first part of the actual thing he started talking about, building the tower, which as I just told you was number one, which is what? Count the cost. You, you're not going to walk as a disciple if you don't do what? Count the cost. Count the cost of what it means to be a disciple. A lot of Christians don't. They just think Christianity is get born again, go to church once in a while, do a little prayer, do a little hallelujah, glory to God here or there, and somehow God's just going to bless me and help me walk like Jesus and everything God has for me. No. No, you're going to have to pursue this new lifestyle. And thank God you can. I said, thank God you can. So you got to be willing to do what? Count the cost. Let's look at an example. What do you say? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul wrote about it. Well, who better to learn from? about counting the cost in the Apostle Paul. 
So when you look at being willing to forsake all, look at it as a race, because that's how Paul relates it to us. You look at it like a race. So you're going to start this race, you're going to run this race, but guess what the goal is? Remember what he said about counting the cost? You don't want to get partway through and not finish. If you don't count the cost, you may not make it to the end. I mean, you want to make it all the way to the end as a disciple. So if you want to make it to the end, what do you got to do? Count the cost. Guess what an athlete does? They count the cost. I tried to find, I couldn't find like a, just a simple little short clip of an Olympic athlete of their day, what a day's like. But you're going to see in a minute, he's going to refer to what was Olympians in their day that were people who trained and did these, you know, uh, Olympic, uh, uh, Olympic type of uh, uh, games and stuff of their day in the context of the days of the Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race do what? They all run. Right? Many. If you look at everybody that's in a race, what are they doing? They're running. Correct? Yes, no, maybe. Well, some might be kind of wore out, kind of walking now, but you know what I'm saying. They're all in the race, right? They're, they're all running. What? Notice this. But one receives the prize. What? One receives the prize. Notice what he said. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Here's the cool part about walking with God as a disciple. We can all obtain the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. What's the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus? Philippians chapter uh, uh, 3 tells it. What's that high calling in Christ Jesus? High calling is to live life a disciple. We can all obtain it. But guess how you get there? You got to run in such a way that you can obtain it. Verse 25. Everyone therefore who does what? Who competes for the prize. They're in this race. They want to compete. Underline this. What are they? They're temperate. They're temperate in all things. I'm going to come back to that. Notice this. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown. And it was really perishable in their day. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't a trophy, you know. Isn't it amazing today how we're teaching kids, man, here, you all come play in this sport, everybody gets a trophy. That's not how it works. In relationship to, obviously, the things of the kingdom, if you all do what the Bible says, yeah, we can all obtain the prize. Aren't you glad? They obtain a perishable crown, but we are doing it for what? An imperishable crown. What was the perishable crown? It was just actually uh, different types of plants they put together of a wreath that they gave them that, you know, within a matter of weeks or, you know, a handful of, uh, of days is just going to wither away. But guess what they're doing? Man, they're working really hard to get that crown that's going to wither away. Yeah. 26, therefore I run thus, Paul said. So he's a great example to us. I'm in a race. I run thus. How do I do it? Not with uncertainty. You know what a lot of Christians do? They're trying to run this race and they run it with uncertainty. I'll explain why. Thus I fight not as one who what? Beats the air. And a lot of Christians do that as well. If you're beating the air, let me help you. You're losing. <laughs> you didn't hear that. If you're beating the air, you're losing. You're not hitting your target. Right? Go into a ring with another boxer. And as he stands there and looks at you, don't ever hit him. Just hit the air around him. Let me help you. You're going to wind up on the mat really quick. Because he ain't going to beat the air. He's going to beat your head in the ground. Right? If you're just beating the air, let me help you. You're losing. He said, I don't fight as one who beats the air. 27, notice this. But I do what? I discipline my body. Oh, <laughs> Oh, man, there's that horrible word. <laughs> discipline. Guess what a disciple is? Disciplined. I discipline my body and I do what? I bring it into subjection. Now, notice the statement. I've taught you this many times. Circle the two times he says I here. I discipline my body. Uh, he didn't say it the second time yet. Notice this. I, I bring, I, and bring it into subjection lest when I, circle it, have preached to others, I circle it, myself should have, be, have become disqualified. Who's the I there? The spirit man. Because he's talking about dealing with his body. Who's going to deal with his body? The spirit Paul is going to deal with the body, the outer guy, the outer nature. I do what again? Discipline my body. What do I do with my body? What do I do with my body? Read the rest of it. What do I do with my body? I bring it into subjection to who? To me, the new spirit man. Lest when I have proclaimed to others that I'm this child of God, this Christian, this disciple of Jesus, that I become disqualified because I'm really not living like it. You still with me? So this is the key of what we're going to focus on about counting the cost. 
To count the cost, a, dis a disciple disciplines his flesh, bringing it into subjection. If you don't discipline your flesh, you're not counting the cost of what it takes to be a disciple. What does it take to be a disciple? You must discipline your flesh. If you don't discipline your flesh, deal with your flesh. Don't let it get what it wants. Don't let it live how it wants. Don't let it live the way it wants. But understand how to deal with it biblically, how to address your, your body biblically and bring it into subjection, then you can become a disciple. Amen. So you got to count the cost. What's the cost? You got to discipline your body. You got to discipline the aspect of your old nature to not rule you anymore and bring it under subjection. Now, I want to read verse 25 to you from, I'm going to actually read, I'll read all these, 24 through 27. This again from the voice translation. Listen to this, 24. We all know that when there's a race, all runners bolt for the finish line, but only one's going to take the prize. When you run, run for the prize. In other words, if you're born again, why not go after the prize of the higher life? If you're born again, why not go after the prize of living like Jesus? Why not do that? Right? Now, if you think this means heaven, it's not. He's not referring to getting to heaven because in the context of 2 Timothy, he writes to 2 Timothy, he says, guess what? I've run my race. I've finished it. I fought the fight. I finished it. Amen? I fought the good fight of faith. I've run my race. I, I did what God told me. I made it all the way to the end. So this isn't talking about getting to heaven. This is talking about here on earth. Just talking about living out the life that Jesus has for you here on earth. Amen? Amen? Run that you can do what? Run for the prize that you can obtain the prize. 25. Athletes in training are very strict with themselves. This is verse 25. Athletes in training are very strict with themselves. That's temperate in all things. They're very strict with themselves. Exercising self-control over desires. What for? For a wreath that soon withers or is crushed or simply forgotten. That's not our race. I said, that's not our race. We run for the crown that we will wear for eternity. eternity. Amen. 26, I don't run aimlessly. I'm not running with uncertainty. I know what I'm chasing. What are you chasing, church? Do you know what you're chasing? See, a lot of Christians don't. What he, what he said there earlier, he said that I am not running this race with uncertainty. Why? He's running it with a, with a goal. He's running it for a prize. What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Is the goal, what's the goal of your life today? Because see, the goal of Paul's life was obtain this prize of the upward call in God. Live like a disciple. Live out the will of God for my life. Is that what you're living for? Because if it's not, guess what? You're chasing something that's not of the same prize. You're missing out on the life God has for you. If you don't have the prize as living like Jesus in your life, guess how you're going to live your life? You're going to live it with uncertainty. Can I say it another way? You got no plan to walk out what God has for your life. But you do if the goal is to take up the will of the Father, to live like Jesus. Because if that's the goal, guess what? You now know i got to do some things to get there. So I'm not living with uncertainty. I know exactly what I'm going after. Hallelujah. Oh, wonder why I'm here. Live like Jesus. Wonder why God put me here. Live like Jesus. I don't know why I was created. Live like Jesus. That's the goal. Be a disciple. Live the kind of life he did. Lay hands on the sick. Watch him recover. Yeah. Cast out demons. Yes. Right. Amen. Come on. Raise the dead if needed. Amen. Freely you've received. Freely get. Well, I couldn't do that. God said you could. Amen. Should we believe you or God? God. I'm going with God. I said, I'm going with God. You may not agree with it. You may not believe it. You might not say therefore you won't see it. But see, you and I don't have to live life with uncertainty. We don't have to wake up every day wondering, so what's going to happen today? No, you can live every day knowing I'm chasing the prize of living like Jesus. Because Paul knew that. I said, Paul knew that. Paul said, I am not running this race as somebody who is, who is doing so without knowing what I'm chasing after. You listening? I don't run with uncertainty. No, I know exactly what I'm chasing after. My question again to you today, child of God, do you know what you're after? What are you after? You should answer it for yourself. What are you after? If you're not after being like Jesus, let me change your opinion today of what you're doing with your life and say, hey, you got a higher calling. Amen. This is your focus. This is your goal in life. This is what you're chasing at. This is what you're supposed to be chasing after. This is what you're in the race of, uh, the, the race of life to do. That ought to excite you. 
Oh, I got a reason to get up tomorrow, Jesus. Because I am chasing after the life you gave me to live. I'm going to live that life. But you're not if you're not going to do what? Count the cost. Because even an athlete in a race knows if I want to obtain that wreath, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me other things that I would normally want to do in the natural. I'm not going to be able to watch TV as much as I may want to. I'm not going to be able to be on social media all the time. I'm not going to be able to hang out with all my buddies and friends. I'm going to have to be in the gym training day in and day out. Life of an actual Olympic athlete varies a little bit, but basically for the most part, most of them start at 6, because they know they got to get rest as well. Your body has to recover from all the training. They'll get up at 6, usually by 7 o'clock, they've already eaten breakfast, already started on their way to their first training session. Most of them, depending on what they do, train anywhere from 2 to 4 hours at the very beginning of the morning. At lunchtime, they break for lunch, 30 minutes, 30 minutes for lunch, get a, and of course their diet, now their diet is very clear, their diet's not junk stuff. Their diet is fueling their body for what it needs. You listening? Most of them after their lunch, believe it or not, take a power nap. Well, that's being kind of lazy. Nope. They've worked your body for three or four hours and without recovery, you won't give your body an opportunity to continue to develop and grow. God's not saying you don't need times of rest. But most of them take an afternoon after lunch, 20-minute power nap. Then they're back up to train for two to three more hours. Most of them don't get home till about 6 or 6.30, have dinner with their family at 7, and then from there to the rest of the evening till about 9, 9.30, have family time, and then they go back to bed and get up and do it all again the next day. I'm not talking about you doing that because unless you're going for the Olympics, you don't need to do that. What I'm saying is if they'll do that, if they'll be that disciplined to try to obtain a gold medal that's perishing with this earth, how much more? Should we not wake up every day and say, I got a goal today. I'm not living my life with uncertainty. I know exactly what I'm chasing. What are you chasing? If you didn't know before today, now you ought to know. Amen. I'm chasing to live like my Jesus. I'm chasing after my Jesus. Live the life my Jesus lived. Hallelujah. Amen. Can I get a better amen? amen? So again, he goes on to say here very clearly, I don't run aimlessly, verse 26. Uh, this is powerful. I don't let my eyes drift off the finish line. <coughs> Woo! Uh, that's in verse 26 when he talks about going for the finish line. I run thus not with uncertainty. <coughs> Well, if you're not running with uncertainty, what's your focus on? The finish line. What's your focus on? The finish line. What's the finish line? Walking like Jesus. Living like Jesus. Amen. I said amen. When I box, I don't throw punches in the air. Now, you remember he talked about there about going to war and knowing that we're prepared for it. This is a form of what we're now not only counting the cost, but now we're considering our lifestyle as it relates to how we're living our life. Are we prepared for these battles? Again, it says here clearly, when I box, I don't throw punches in the air. So what does that mean? He doesn't throw punches in the air. What fight do you fight? What fight do you fight? You fight only one fight, the fight of faith. If you know how to fight the fight of faith, then guess what you need to know? I need to know how to develop my faith. I need to know how to use my faith. If I learn how to develop and use my faith, guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to beat it. I'm not going to fight as one who beats the air. My faith's going to get released. It's going to go right to its target. It's going to do exactly what God said it's going to do. It's going to remove the mountain. It's going to curse the tree and man command it to die. Come on. It's going to move darkness from off of my family and out of my life. And it's going to press me on to victory. You know why a lot of Christians are actually walking through this life punching the air? They don't know about the fight of faith. To fight the fight of faith means I got to keep my faith strong. I got to know how it works. I got to know how God's faith operates according to spiritual law, spiritual principle. And when I do, now I can live a life like Paul. Paul stated at the end of his life, he said, I fought the good fight. What's the good fight? Fight of faith. I never quit on my God. I never gave up on him. He brought me through every situation, man. Come on, are you kidding me? Shipwreck, stone, beaten with rods, beaten with a cat of nine tails, left out in the ocean overnight, stoned and left for dead. None of it stopped me. Why? I knew how to fight. I knew how to use my faith to get through it all. 
Can you, you know, people, well, I wouldn't want to be stoned left for dead. Listen, Paul knew how, based on his company around him, what to do in relationship to stay around the right people. Paul knew how to keep himself surrounded with the right people. And when they stoned him, left, for, left him for dead, the disciples prayed over him. Guess what happened? He rose back up. Guess what the stones didn't do? Stop his, uh, stop his plan that God had for his life. And imagine the faces of those when he walked back into that city that stoned him left for dead. I'd been running the opposite way. I said, I better say, get away from this guy. <laughs> you don't want to mess with him. Verse 27, I discipline my body. I make it my slave. Come on, guys, that went through our series on the total man. What's your body supposed to be? The slave. Your body's not to determine what you're supposed to do. Well, I'm tired. Deal with your tiredness. Speak to yourself. David learned to. You sit with me? I discipline my body, I make it my slave. Now, if you're only getting three, four hours of sleep, you're going to be tired. If, you, if you're not going to adjust your life to do what you need to, to be able to properly provide for your body what it needs, you're going to be tired. That's just a fact. You can't, you can't push your body beyond its natural limits. The Bible tells you that's not wise. Getting really quiet now. You see, I woke up one day behind the wheel of a... Of a uh, of a rock truck going up Bridgeport Hill to go get a load. I've been doing it for two years of my life. I've been working these 65 to 80 hour weeks, uh, 65 to 80 hours a week, uh, this job for over two years of my life and still rodeoing and still going to church and doing all these other things. But driving up the hill that day, I was so tired, no, no sleep, three, maybe two, three, four hours a night. I fell asleep behind the wheel. Now, I'm going to get loaded. I'm going up a hill that's in Bridgeport, a little hill where you make a curve and you go around to where our crusher was. As I'm going up that hill, I fall asleep. There's a loaded truck coming down the hill, 60 miles an hour. And I fell asleep. And I drifted over in his lane. I didn't know I did. And the guy just laid on his horn. And thank God he didn't swerve over into my lane. Because the moment I heard that horn and woke up, I swerved over. If he'd have swerved over, we'd have hit head on. I swerved over into my lane. Man, we just missed each other. Room. And, got, and he got by me. I got around that curtain. You know how bad I was shaking? Could have been the end of my life. I got around that curve. I got, got off, went down to the crusher. Before I ever got in line to get loaded, I got out of that truck and I started walking around and I looked up to God and I said, this is stupid. This is idiotic. What an idiot I've been for two years. I've talked to my boss over and over again about the hours. He knows, but there's nothing he can do about it because the company that obviously he works for says, you got to work them. But that'll mean I have to stay there. That's right. And I looked to God and I said, God, there is not a job on the planet worth me being killed for. There's not one. There's not one worth me having my life taken. It is not worth it. I'd rather be a janitor somewhere working normal hours, which ain't a bad job, by the way. I worked at Motorola as a janitor for years. I would rather be anything other than driving these kind of, driving this truck, doing these kind of hours. These people don't care about me. You think they care about you? Working you those kind of hours? Won't let you serve your God? Won't let you spend time with your family? They don't care about you. You're making them money. You're just barely getting by. Preaching better than you, amen. And I told God, I said, I'm done. I'm done. When I get this truck back to the yard, I'm going up to my boss and I'm saying, I'm finished, man. This is my two weeks notice. My God will supply. He'll provide me a job. But I ain't doing this no more. I'm not risking my life. And when I got back to the yard at the end of that day, it's exactly what I did. Got out of my truck. I walked up to my boss. It was actually his truck, at least back to the company. He had one of three and he allowed me to drive one because I took care of him. And he said, man, I hate to lose you, but you know what? I don't blame you a bit. If I was in your shoes, I'd do the same thing. He said, the honest truth is, now I'll tell you this now that you're leaving. He said, I would never force anybody that I know personally to do this job. No way. Too big of a risk. He said, I'm glad you made the decision. I think it's a good decision. Know this. I know you've given me two weeks notice, but you take as much time as you need. When you get a new job, you just let me know. And I'll pull you out of that truck and you're good to go. And I went before God. You ever thought about talking to God about your life? I went before God and I said, okay, Lord, so you know I need a new job. But you know what? I'm not going to look for one. No, I didn't sit home, wait for somebody to call my phone. I said, I know you can provide one. 
I'm going to look at what's available, but I'm going to wait till you provide the right job. Now, I'm looking for a job. I'm trying to find a job, looking for a job. Within three days, I get a call from a guy that I used to go to church, for, uh, church with years ago. Had cowboy chair. Hadn't heard, I hadn't talked to him in, I don't know, five, three, four, five years maybe. Been quite a while. He calls me up and says, what are you doing? I said, I'm just sitting here studying my Bible tonight. I actually just been reading a little bit and stuff. He said, what are you, what, what's going on with you? Oh, this and this and this. And he said, uh, hey, he said, uh, I don't know why God put it on my heart to call you. Do you need a job? Sure wish that happened for me. If you were sincere about wanting to chase after what God had for your life, not just get a new job. My purpose was I wanted to serve God. I wanted to do what God had for my life. You listening? Not to do what I wanted to do. My whole life at that time was committed to God. Whatever you want of me, I'm yours. Just use me however you want. Do whatever you want with my life. I said, well, by the way, I am happy. I have me looking for a new job. What's up? So he tells me, well, guess what? I got a contract with Pitney Bowes. I deliver all their copiers. Currently, I do all the Dallas area. I've got a guy that's worked with me for a long time, and he's actually quitting me. And he said, you know what? It's a salary job. Here's how much you get paid. We only work on average 25 to 30 hours a week. That's it. You just, we just come in. We take whatever copiers they have. We deliver them. We set them up, make sure they're happy with them. And when we're done delivering for the day, we're done. He said, on average, we start at 8 a.m. We're usually done by 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And you get a, a salary pay of this amount of money per week. It was almost double what I was making driving a rock truck. Wow. Glory to God. Wow. That's our God. 25 to 30 hours a week. And you know what God knew? You're going to need this job because you're about to become a pastor. And you can't do that and drive a rock truck. It's amazing to me how people want to hold on to these stupid jobs. Forgive me, but it's stupid. It's stupid to work those kind of hours to the fact you're working yourself to death to the degree that you're going to do what? What are you going to do? You'll kill yourself physically? You're going to miss out on the high calling, on the upper, on the upper call of God of his prize for your life. And I said, yeah, man, let me come talk to you. So I took the job. I worked for him all the way up until the time we started the church. And even after that time, he wound up losing the contract to somebody else. And when he lost the contract to somebody else, we had, we had gotten married. We had started the church. And I told her, I said, I believe God told me it's time to step out in faith full time as a minister. I've never turned back. But see, if you're just doing it to fulfill your will, you're not going to involve God in it because you won't hear God clearly. Preaching better than you, amen. Understand, God's got a plan for your life. What's that plan? Ultimately, to live like Jesus. Why am I here? Live like Jesus. Live the kind of life Jesus lived. So that's my goal. But to do that, what do you got to do? Be willing to forsake anything. I had to be willing to walk away from that job. I've talked to so many people who work these kind of jobs and say, why don't you try to find a new job? I tried. Really? Like how hard? Like called one or two people maybe, which is usually what it amounts to. Have you even prayed? Have you even talked to God? You know, God of the universe who knows everybody? You ever happen to talk to him? Ask him, well, no. Well, how do you expect, how you expect to get the job God wants you to have? You're not even asking him for help. He's a gentleman. He won't step in. Well, I'm just waiting for God to provide me a job. Have you talked to him about it? No. Well, he ain't going to do it then. It's called a spiritual law. Draw near to him. Guess what he does? He draws near to you. When you do what you're supposed to do, like, like Brother Terry Mize has taught for years, God's a good checker player. Right? right. But he won't move out of turn. No. Preaching better than you, man. So very clearly, you and I are not to run as we don't know what we're doing. We're supposed to know exactly what we're doing. I'm here to fulfill God's will. But, verse 27, I got to do what? Discipline my body and bring it into a subjection. Say, I got to count the cost. Second Timothy, go quickly, please. Second Timothy. You still with me? Second Timothy. We haven't even got to the holy hour of 12 o'clock yet, so hold on. We're getting close. Second Timothy, quick. Chapter 2. Hope you're still listening. Chapter 2, very similar verses. Verse 3, Paul now writing to uh, young Timothy. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier. Of Jesus Christ. If you're going to be a good soldier and a disciple of Jesus, you got to do what? Endure hardship. See, it doesn't mean you don't face challenges or hard times, but if you endure them, guess what that means? You overcome them. Yes. You overcome them. Anybody faced a hard challenge or time since you've been born again? Let me see your hand if you faced a hard time. Guess what happens if you walk in faith and endure them? You overcome them. 
Didn't say you don't face challenges. But you got to do it as what? As a good soldier. Okay, let's find out what a good soldier does. Verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. The only reason you're not, if you're not living out a victorious life of enduring the hardships of life is because you're still too engaged with the affairs of this life. Engaged means entangled with. You can't continue to entangle yourself with all the things of the world and feed on all the things of the world and become a disciple of Jesus and be victorious in life. The world's going to teach you the direct opposite of what Jesus is going to teach you. Any good amens on that? Verse, verse 5, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he does what? Competes according to the rules. There are spiritual laws. There are laws of faith. There are laws in which things work that God set up for your benefit. But you got to learn them as a disciple. Learn how to walk in those very truths that he's given you as a disciple. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Who? Hardworking. Hard got to put some effort in. That's right. 7, consider what I say. Do what? Consider what I just told you. And may the Lord do what? Give you understanding in all things. So what he just told you was, you're in a battle zone. You're in a war zone. If you don't develop as a disciple, you're not going to have your armor on. And if you don't have your armor on, guess what you're not ready for? If you don't have your armor on, you're not considering what's going to happen down the road when Satan attacks. Two things I told you there you got to do to forsake all. One, you got to do what? Count the cost. So we just talked about that. Now what are we talking about? You got to consider what's going on in your lifestyle to find out am I having things in my life that's keeping me from becoming a better disciple, realizing who I am, taking up my armor and walking in faith. If I've got things that's hindering my ability to walk in what Jesus created for me to live as a child of God, if, I've, if I consider what's going on in my life today, consider what's consuming my time, consider, you got to know this, you got to know that if I have no time for God, if I have no time to develop my relationship with God, if I have no time for any of the things of God, how am I going to become a disciple of God? You got to consider what's going on in your life and say, do I want to be a disciple more than I want to watch television? I decided I want to be a disciple of Jesus in the worst way. When I was driving a rock truck, guess what I came home every day and did? I watched actual teachings, biblical teachings. I didn't watch regular TV. Guess what I fed on every single day in that rock truck? Teachings. The Word of God. Brother Hagen. Brother, uh, Brother Summerall. On and on and on. So guess what you got to do? If you're going to do what Jesus said to become a disciple, be willing to forsake all. Well, that means you got to consider what's going on in your life now. Consider what's going on in your life now and ask yourself this question. Is this robbing me from developing my faith? Because what's the fight? It's a fight of faith. Is what I'm allowing in my life hindering me from walking in faith? Faith comes by hearing by the... So what am I listening to? If I'm listening to things that are not based on the word more than I am the word, how am I going to have the faith to fight the fight? You're not i got to consider what I'm listening to and say, is it worth it to allow this to take all my time to listen to it? And I don't have time for anything of the Word of God to be hearing the Word of God in relationship to teachings and or going to church, etc. Well, if you don't consider that, guess what you're going to do? You're going to keep doing what you've always done. And your faith's going to remain weak and you're not going to be able to do what? Walk in the victory. You got to consider what's hindering your walk with God. If there's anything hindering your walk with God, spending time with Him, you got to consider that and say, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to have all these other activities in my life and say I have no time for God? Well, if you think it's worth it, realize that don't get upset when you're not walking as a disciple that you can't walk in victory as a child of God because you don't know what to do. God gave you the ability to know what to do. So he's telling us here, consider what I'm telling you and let the Lord give you understanding. What's he telling you? A hardworking farmer considers what he's got to do to get that crop in. And he doesn't let stuff hinder him from doing that. Therefore, he gets to partake of the, of the fruit when it comes. Right? An athlete to be able to get to the prize knows, I got to consider things that would keep me from getting to the place I need to be to compete at that level and get those things out of my life if I want to obtain the prize. A soldier, I've been given the ability to win any battle through Jesus Christ. You know why most Christians don't? You know why most, most Christians don't win the battle? Because they don't take the time to keep their faith strong and to learn what they have as a child of God with the armor of God and know how to walk in victory as a child of God. They're too busy doing other things. Right. Well, you're not going to obviously forsake those other things by not considering them. Guess how you're going to forsake what obviously could hinder your walk with God? I've got to consider 
What's going on in my life? Is it hindering me from being the disciple Jesus wants me to be? Hebrews 12, I'll close here. Hebrews 12, count the cost. Realize, in other words, only saying by count the cost is realize if you want to, anybody here really want to live the life Jesus lived? Then you got to wake up to the reality. You know what? It's going to cost me some things. If you don't figure that out up front, then you'll never, you'll never even make it down the pathway to start becoming a disciple. You got to count the cost. You got to be willing to count the cost. I got to be willing to give up anything God says that obviously is hindering me from being a disciple if I want to be a disciple. To take up God's will for my life. For me to become a pastor, guess what I had to give up? Bull riding. I didn't want to at the time. But I later said, God, I'm not, I'm not going to hold on to anything bigger than, better than you. I want to give up anything you want me to give up. And when he said, get rid of it, I got rid of it. Got it out of my life. Why? It's not what his plan was for me. A lot of people have plans that might even be good plans. But what if it's not God's plan? Right. Hebrews 12. Still with me? Two more verses and we're done for this morning. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are these cloud of witnesses here? Everybody in Hebrews chapter 11. All of Hebrews 11, Hall of Faith. Listen to all. Go read it later. All these faith stories. All these massive faith stories. How about Rahab, the harlot? What a faith story. She knew God was who, who he really said he was. She didn't know until the children of Israel showed up. She'd have probably served him a long time ago. Yeah. But she didn't know that. Then she finds out, wow, this God of the Israelites, he is the God of gods. That's right. He's for real, man. And they come in to the city to spy out the city. She takes the two spies and said, listen, I want to protect you. I want to watch over you. I want to keep you safe from, from the rulers here. I want to make sure you're not taken advantage of. Here, come hide in my place. So they came looking for him and she hit him. And you know what she asked in return? Would you please have your God remember me when you come and take the city? You know what she did? She wound up living with him for the rest of her life. You know who was one of her descendants? I can't ever remember if she was a grandmother or great-grandmother. I think she was the grandmother of King David. Tell me what I have a cool God. It don't matter your past. doesn't matter. You commit to serve God and walk with God. Look what God can use your life to do. This hall of faith is incredible. Yes, no, build an ark. Do what? Build an ark. Well, I got to build faith for it. No, you just got to do what I told you. That's right. Obey. Just, obey. just do what I told you. Go build an ark. What for? Rain's coming. What's coming? Rain, lots of it. A flood. What's a flood? Never seen one. It's coming. Do I need to know? Nope. What do I need to know? Build an ark. He built an ark. We're surrounded in Hebrews 11 by all these great, what? Cloud of witnesses. So what should we do? Same of what they had to do. Let us lay aside what? Every weight. And the sin which so easily ensnares us so we can do what, church? Run with endurance. The race that is set before us. What's the race? Be like Jesus. Be a disciple. Live like him. You do so, verse 2, by keeping your focus on him. Look at unto Jesus, your example. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, but he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Meaning what? Victorious. Yes. And so can you be. Amen. What you got to do? Lay aside every weight. Guess what Noah did? He laid aside every weight. Noah, you're not going to go in town anymore and go down and play with all the other uh, older folks around there, you know, play get cards and all this stuff. No, I need you to build an ark. You're going to build an ark. Huh? You're going to build an ark. Okay. All right. I give up all that to do what? Go build an ark. How about Abram? You listening? Abram's living in a nice home with a bunch of his family around him. You know what God says? Come on. You're leaving. What? Your home. Huh? Yeah, you're leaving your home. Guess what else you're leaving? What? Your family. Oh, I can't live where my family's at? I thought I'm supposed to live where my family's at. No, you're supposed to live where God wants you. Preaching better again than your amen. No, come on. I want you to come with me. Where are we going? Oh, man. We're going to Hawaii. We're going to set you up on... No. Where are we going? We're going to a desert. Excuse me? Desert. Heat. Snakes. Huh? Lizards. All kinds of, all kinds of different you know, animals you haven't seen yet before probably. What are we going to live in? A tent. A what? A tent. 
Not a house. No, nope, you're going to live in a tent. Like at some point I'm going to build a house? No, nope, you're just going to travel around and live in a tent. But you know what? I'll be with you. Because you'll be walking with me. You know what you'll forget about when you're walking with God? The home, the family, the comforts. Not when you got God present. A tent seems like a beautiful place to live when God's there with you. You still with me? What are these people? People of faith. What do they do? What God said. You know what God tries to tell a lot of Christians today? I want you to give that up. I want you to lay that down. I know you're, I know you're interested in all this stuff and you do all this stuff, but it's hindering you from doing what I want you to do for me. Imagine people with talents, gifts, and abilities they use in the world all the time. They won't use them for God. I digress because I'll get into meddling too much and then I'll get people not liking what I'm saying today. But I'm here to tell you that God gave you gifts and abilities. It doesn't mean you can't use them elsewhere, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you where he primarily gave you those gifts and abilities to be used in the house of God, Amen. the things of God. Yes. Are you listening? Yes. You know how many great, truly gifted, anointed, in the sense of having anointing in them, singers that are singing in bars today? And they're born again. They're sincerely saying, oh, I'm born again. Praise the Lord, I know I'm born again. But they're not Christians, they're not Christ followers. Why? Christ didn't go sing in bars. I can't find a verse where Jesus went out and hung a bar. Let me sing for you all tonight. Praise the Lord, come on. Well, he went where sinners were because they wanted to hear him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Like a better amen. You can get mad at me if you want. I'm just telling you, God gave you abilities that he wants you to use for the kingdom. For the glory of the kingdom. I'm not saying you can't use them elsewhere in the context of you're in the will of God, using them for the purpose of what they were intended. If they're, were using, if they're being used for the purpose intended to obviously help you to walk in what God has for your life, taking up the Father's will, then praise the Lord. I'm not saying you can't use it anywhere else other than just the kingdom, but I'm just saying think about how many of those gifts are not being used. And I'm not referring to any individual, whether you like it or not. I'm not. I'm just telling you the truth. Like a better Amen. Think about people who have no time to serve and do things in the house of God except once in a while they'll show up and yet they got all kinds of time to do other things out in the world. They're not going to fulfill what Jesus has for their life and sadly they're going to live far below their privileges. I want to live walking out the life of a disciple to know that no matter what I face, just like Jesus, it ain't, it ain't overtaking me. Amen. I'm walking in victory as a child of God. Amen. I like a better amen than that. Amen. And you can do so. Yes. I said you can do so. We all individually have to come before God in this context of what he's saying. I'm going to finish with this. And we got to say, is this a weight? Lay aside every weight. He didn't say lay aside everything you're doing. Did he? Nope. nope. He said lay aside every what? Wait. You want to know what the terminology here is? It's to, again, a runner of Olympian category in their day. And you know what they did before they actually raced? I mean, they stripped off everything. Pretty much. They left not, why? They thought anything they had on them would encumber them from running as fast as they could run. That's the terminology here. So anything that would weigh me down from running my race in the way that God wants me to run it, I'm laying it down. You listening? If it's a weight to my relationship with God, if it's a weight to my faith, with, my faith in God, if it's a weight, to, a weight weighing me down from fulfilling what God has for my life, how long are you going to hold on to the weight? I'm preaching to some of you better than you realize it. How long are you going to hold on to the weight? And I'm not thinking about anybody. I'm just telling you about the Holy Spirit. How long are you going to hold on to the weight and miss out on what God has for your life? It took me almost getting killed in a rock truck to finally say, enough's enough. I'm done. I'm not giving my life for some rock company that don't care about me. It's not worth it. I want to walk with Jesus. You listening? I want to fulfill Jesus' call in my life of what he has. I didn't know I was called to be a pastor at the time. I wasn't pastoring. So, verse 12, you got to lay aside what? Every weight. Everybody, everybody say every weight. A weight is what? Anything that's keeping you from developing your faith or obviously reaching the goal of being a disciple. So, you think about all that it takes to become a disciple and to walk by faith. And anything that's weighing you down from doing that, you got to make the decision at some point, do I want to hold on to that weight or do I want to lay it down? So, I can now walk in the very faith God has for me, the life God has for me, the victory God has for me. The plan God has for me. Come on, somebody. And the sin that so easily ensnares you. So that's referring to you and I no longer continuing to do things that we know willfully we should not do. 
It doesn't mean believers still don't miss the mark sometimes. It means don't hold on to stuff that you can let go of. I like what our pastor says about sin. You ready? God knows if it has you or you have it. If I have it, I can let go and walk away anytime. If it's got me, that's called a stronghold. God knows it. And if you continue to do what you need to do to find out about the truth of God's word about how to deal with it, guess what he can do? Break that stronghold from off your life. You listening? But if I'm just doing things that are sinful in practice that I know I can walk away from and I shouldn't hold on to anymore, guess what he's telling you? You got a choice. Are you going to lay that aside? Because if you lay it aside, now you can do what? Run the race. It's time to run the race, folks. And if you're living as a disciple, you have no concerns about what's coming down on planet earth in the last days. Because you're going to live like Jesus. You're going to be victorious just like Jesus. Praise the Lord. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.